Today on this episode of the PB Roundup Specialist Spotlight. White noise has always been pretty famous for auditory masking. Uh, it, it, you know, you, people use it while they're sleeping and it can help uh, sort of not get distracted by other sounds. Today, Dr. Dan Burlow from Regis University joins the podcast to discuss the use of white and brown noise in treating ADHD in this first of a two-part episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Want to be featured on the podcast? Tell us the story of how you chose your career path to medicine. I've been asking this question to our guests in the Specialist Spotlight series, and folks really seem to enjoy hearing how others got their start. So now it's your turn, and we want to hear from you. Tell us your story in up to four minutes and include your name, degree, specialty, practice setting, and location, and your journey to medicine story. You can submit an audio recording of your story or send it to us in a text format, and we'll read it for you. Email us at editorial at pvroundup.com for the chance to have your story heard on a future episode. I'm your host, Senior VP Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, and joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Dan Burlow. He is a professor in the School of Pharmacy at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Dr. Burlow, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So to start off, can you describe your teaching or research setting? Yeah, so I am a professor at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, in the School of Pharmacy. I'm not a pharmacist by training. My background is neuroscience. Uh, but pharmacists need to know a lot about how the brain works and how drugs affect the brain. And so I've been teaching at Regis for 10 years, and my research focus has varied quite a bit. I have written papers on cannabis. I've written papers on statins. Uh, and most recently, in terms of um, how much notoriety it's given me, I wrote a paper on how white noise can help children with ADHD. Great. And I may explore those other two topics a little bit, um, because it's not often that we get somebody who knows basic science. Most of our audience are healthcare professionals, so it always helps to get a little refresher on the basic sciences. And I ask this question of everybody on the podcast, because I'm always interested how people got to where they are. So can you describe your path to your career in science? Yeah, I mean, uh, the short answer is I knew I wanted to be in something involving biology. I always loved biology. And uh, I don't have the, I don't think, academic fortitude or um, ability to deal with uh, fluids to be a physician. Uh, And uh, so I uh, was always excited about learning about the brain. And so I um, got a psychology degree and biology degree from University of Virginia because they didn't even have a neuroscience degree at the time. And uh, I got connected with an investigator in University of California, Irvine, who was a a pretty senior fella uh, who studied learning and memory. And I got really interested in learning and memory and did my graduate work on um, how the amygdala and parts of the amygdala can affect extinction learning. Uh, to help with phobias. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as a postdoctoral fellow, I worked with dementia patients who were age 90 and older, uh, which was a super cool experience. And then uh, sort of looked for an academic position and found that teaching pharmacists or future pharmacists about neuroscience and about the brain was extremely rewarding. And I have, we have a great setup here. We we don't lecture our students. We do entirely uh, active learning. We use team-based learning pedagogy and you know, once you do it, you can't go back. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think that one of the more exciting parts about my career when I was in medicine was training, training medical students, residents, interns. Um, I also had nursing students and PA students. So yeah, it, it, I think that that keeps you really engaged because people are always asking you questions that you're like not necessarily anticipating. So yeah, humility is an important uh, feature. I saying I don't know as a teacher sometimes actually really helps and also gives you a few minutes to figure out <laughs> what you're trying to say. It's true. So what I want to do here, as for your notoriety on white noise, is can we start off with talking about ADHD itself and sort of the neuroscience of that in the focus for all of us who are sort of applied scientists, as I like to call healthcare professionals? Yeah, so um, the way I, I describe it to my students is that uh, we basically have sort of two pools of dopamine that we release in our brain. Mm -hmm. uh, norepinephrine works similar, but dopamine is, I think, the, the primary driver. But we have sort of the, the tonic pool and the phasic pool. And the tonic pool is uh, sort of a trickle of dopamine that's released in a variety of, from, from a variety of dopaminergic cells uh, without action potential. Um, so no stimulation necessary. That The dopamine just kind of leaks out all the time. And this small amount of dopamine is, is theorized to help people uh, maintain focus and attention. It sort of keeps you on task because since dopamine is really involved with reward, it sort of helps you keep, keep being rewarded by uh, staying on the task. And uh, when you get a stimulation, um, action potential or some sort of uh, interesting thing that piques your attention, then your brain releases a whole bunch of dopamine called phasic pool. And so uh, neurotypical people have dopamine being released all the time. And that little bit of dopamine helps reduce the amount of phasic release. So you get this sort of autoreceptors on neurons that basically say, we, we've got enough dopamine being made. You don't need to make any more dopamine. And so when you get that sort of stimulated release, it's a measured release. It's more dopamine than, than the, the, the tonic pool, but it's not excessive. And so people with, with ADHD, uh, there's good evidence that they have minimal or no tonic release in um, the majority of their dopaminergic neurons. And so what happens is they really struggle with focus and attention because they don't have that sort of dopamine trickle. But the, the other half of it is that when there's no sort of feedback to say, stop making more dopamine, they overproduce dopamine in their, um, in their neurons. And then when they do get some sort of stimulation, some sort of interest, they release all that dopamine at once. And uh, it can cause hyperactivity. It can cause inappropriate behaviors. Um, and people with ADHD also, you know, have evidence of, excessive reward-seeking behavior, which is also dopaminergic. And so the idea is that our medications that we give, which is typically stimulants, they are uh, exogenously mimicking the tonic release of dopamine. So you get a, um, a stimulant medication like methylphenidate or, or uh, amphetamine, and it just sort of hits these postsynaptic receptors similar to what the tonic release would do. And so it can really, really help because it provides that negative feedback to the, for the phasic release, but also helps people maintain focus and attention. No, that's great. And, and so that's really important because as I've read in the news, there's actually sort of a shortage of some of the pharmacologic treatments. Yeah. So I think that that is one of the reasons why in the news, in the lay press even, we're looking for non-pharmacologic options. And one of the ones I read about is the paper you talk about, which is white noise. Could you go into that a little bit? 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, there's a couple of researchers in Norway and Sweden that have done the bulk of this work. And the idea behind it is white noise has always been pretty famous for auditory masking. Uh, it, it, you know, you, people use it while they're sleeping and it can help uh, sort of not get distracted by other sounds. And so there was sort of a thought early on that if kids are getting distracted by things around the room, put some white noise on them and perhaps that sort of that masking will help a little bit. And so the initial studies uh, were looking at things like speech recognition, reading and writing speed, and it, it was really effective. And the, uh, basically more and more studies uh, started to show that it might be more than just this auditory masking. It might be that white noise has some way to help sort of normalize the brains of people with ADHD. And uh, you see effects with uh, impulsivity, with working memory, and uh, this is a non-pharmacological uh, intervention. It's free for the most part. I mean, you know, pretty much anybody has access to it. And so even if it's just used as an, an adjunct therapy, it's, it's definitely worth exploring because the, the downsides are pretty low. I mean, ADHD medications, in addition to being, you know, in short supply right now, they can cause a stunted growth. They can cause, uh, you know, lack of sleep. There's all, I mean, there's side effects because they're medications. And so uh, these, you know, non-pharmacological therapies, there's some good evidence that, that they could be used uh, in addition to our traditional therapies. Right. And not to mention the, the risk of diversion, which, you know, always yeah. had to be dealt with when, when I was practicing, you know, the pill counting and so forth. Yeah, for sure. And so there are other, I mean, white noise in particular, I mean, I know for a fact that when I lived in an apartment complex, when I was in school, I was a little loud running a fan in the background is very effective for blocking noise. And I, I don't know if you, you are comfortable talking about this, but there are other non-pharmacologic treatments out there for, for one, they're video games, I understand. Do you have any insights into that? No, I mean, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I have heard that there's increasing evidence that video games are associated with better outcomes in children, but I haven't heard of any FDA approved video games. Now, there is one out there that I, I read about. And what was triggering me about that is because I'm going to remember my training as a resident back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, that one of the things that you looked for in a history is if a kid became very hypnotized almost by television, that that could be one of the symptoms of perhaps the kid had ADD or ADHD. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so one of the symptom clusters for ADHD uh, involves uh, when someone's doing something they're really interested in it's hard to get their attention away. And uh, that sort of excessive focus. And the thought is that, again, that, that sort of phasic release, because there's a lot of interest in whatever they're doing, they are sort of wrapped at attention. And uh, I think that that still clinically holds true. Um, now it's probably iPads versus TVs. But um, yeah, I mean, I, th I definitely think there's, there's strong support for that still. It's interesting. And I also think that just the whole um, cluster is, and now I noticed one of the other articles I read, and I did not know noises came in colors, but I guess they do. Is there something called brown noise? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not aware of what that is. Could you help explain that to me? Yeah, yeah. So so um, the the short answer is white noise for most people is kind of unpleasant. Uh, a fan running in the background probably won't give you the same sounds as white noise. White noise has kind of a high-pitched sound. And the reason why uh, if you remember back in anatomies, the cochlea is this sort of spiral. And 
we tend to hear frequencies that are higher pitched as louder because they are sort of earlier in the cochlea. And so uh, when you hear white noise, you're hearing all the audible frequencies uh, kind of randomly played at the same time. And so uh, instead of hearing them all at the same volume, you actually hear the higher pitched ones louder. And that tends to be unpleasant for people. And so, um, you know, years ago, somebody said, well, based on the way the cochlea is set up, let's reduce the volume of the higher pitch sounds and uh, see if that sounds more pleasant, sort of trying to equalize for the cochlea. And so they created something called pink noise, which sounds very much like white noise, except for that sort of high pitched uh, edge has been taken off. And people liked it a lot. And I mean, you, you know, at the time it came out, you know, uh, I would say you sort of, um, as people are trying to advocate for this, they would say, if you don't like white noise, you can try pink noise. And uh, around the same time, the thought was, well, let's just get rid of all the high-pitched sounds entirely. And so uh, uh, they created a, something called brown noise, which is uh, a much more aggressive adjustment of the frequencies where low frequencies are played at a very high volume and high frequencies are played at almost no volume. and uh, you know, I, they have these sort of um, histogram, frequency histograms of them, which I'm happy to share with you. Uh, it's kind of cool to sort of see how they look. But basically, brown noise is, is, is more bass. It's more rumbly. And uh, pretty much objectively, people think it sounds more pleasant. And uh, the thought is that if you're going to try to use this as any kind of therapeutic, even if it is just auditory masking, finding something that people like better, it's more enjoyable, it's going to have better adherence. And so um, the, the uproar sort of came this summer when a, uh, a relatively famous TikToker who is an ADHD advocate, uh, listened to brown noise for the first time and described it as basically her, her brain for the first time in her life kind of finally shut off a little bit and she was able to focus. And so, um, anecdotal evidence is, is abound, uh, since then with millions of people saying that brown noise is the the um, panacea for their ADHD. Uh, there's, there's no clinical evidence, no research data on brown noise that I have found, but I, I assume that's going to change very soon because it is, uh, you know, the researchers who are studying white noise are happy to start studying brown noise too. I mean, it's not that much of a change in the study design, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe dial it up a little bit. IRB approval is easy. Yes. And that's the other point that I wanted to make sort of as a clinician, because, you know, oftentimes we offer, and I'm also an osteopath by training, so sometimes more of a little bit of a holistic approach, but there are some things that you can offer people that are non-pharmacologic that are very low risk. And, you know, as a parent, if you want to give your kid an hour or an hour and a half of focus time, putting ear, earbuds in them and playing brown noise while they do their homework, you know, what's the, what's the harm in that in one regard? Unless yeah. it's, you know, you don't want to be too loud, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So the studies uh, have the, the brown noise or actually not, not brown noise, the white noise, uh, at 65 to 80 decibels, okay. which 80 decibels is basically a hair dryer in your ear. Okay. It's pretty loud. That's very loud. Uh, anything, anything above that can, can, can be potentially damaging. So, uh, you'd want to make it loud, but not too loud for your kids. Um, it's kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're going to have a decibel meter in their headphones or whatever, but, um, Certainly, yeah, creating that sort of, even at the very minimum, it's sort of stopping those distracting sounds. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm torn, right? So as a scientist, I look at this and say, there's not enough evidence for me to be convinced that this is an effective therapeutic. Uh, but 
also, as someone who says, the, the downsides of this are pretty low, just like you mentioned, right? Like this is, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make anyone go broke. Uh, it's not gonna cause any significant harm. Why not let people try it? And, you know, if the evidence eventually suggests that it, it really is therapeutic in a, in a controlled study, then let's, let's continue to use it because, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people who suffer with ADHD and especially when medications don't work for everybody for a variety of reasons. You know, you might as well have more things in your toolkit. And that concludes the first episode of this two-part series of the Specialist Spotlight. Please be sure to join us for part two where Dr. Burlow discusses cannabis for pain and the impact of statins on dementia risk. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Dr. Dan Burlow, and to Sean Mullen, Kate Rio, and Jackie Gallant for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.